0: Welcome to Andrew Speaks, the podcast of Andrews University. I'm your host, Jeff Boyd, and it's great to have you join us for this summer episode. Two of the most significant developments impacting our lives, our society right now, are the coronavirus pandemic and the groundswell outcry against racial injustice. This summer, many of us have taken a knee for eight minutes and 46 seconds for George Floyd. Run 2.23 miles with Maud and said her name, Brianna Taylor. A few months ago, in episode 15 of Andrew Speaks, a distinguished panel of health experts described how the COVID-19 pandemic is disproportionately impacting minority communities. Now in episode 18, we continue to pursue important elements of that conversation by going further into the topic of racial justice and equality. To get at this, we want to welcome two Andrews University graduates back to campus in order to talk about a march they planned earlier this summer right here in Berrien Springs. In the first portion of the conversation, what you're listening to right now, we will cover the march and related themes of racism and bias. Then, the final 30 minutes of the interview is a bonus YouTube video that includes the conversation's audio recording along with footage from the rally itself. We invite you to access the video through this episode's show notes, which you can find at andrews.edu podcasts. And now let's roll. We have here Jordan Howell Walton and Maylin Trammels Allen. Uh, thank you both so much for coming out of this evening, this late evening, to uh, to talk about the march, the demonstration, um, how that relates to our local community and to bigger bigger issues uh, of society. And we're going to talk kind of about about both of those those levels. And so, uh, really look forward to digging into this together. Our family was on the march. Uh, me, my wife, our, our uh, preschooler, and now I want to get into talking about it kind of behind the scenes and motivation and goals and digging into some of the, some of those ideas and, and bigger bigger questions about it. And before we dig into these, I'd, I'd like to start with, uh, with introductions. If you could share uh, your connection to Andrews and, uh, and, and what you're doing now, where, where you're at, and then the second question, we'll get into the march itself. But So just to start, kind of who who are each of you? And, and maybe Jordan, we could start with you.
1: Yeah. Um, so my name is Jordan. I am an alumni of Andrews University is my great alma mater. I studied psychology and Spanish here. And now I am teaching at the Crayon Box. I teach four and five-year-olds, getting them ready for kindergarten. A lot of um, biting is not problem solving is kind of my rhetoric day to day. But yeah, that's what I do. A little social justice in my classroom.
0: (laughs) Biting is not problem solving, (laughs) nice.
2: My name is Malin Allen. I also studied here at Andrews. I studied math education and Spanish education. I then moved on to eventually get a job at Berrien Springs High School, where I've worked for the past two years. This last year was my last year there because I'm moving. <laughs> but in my time there, I was able to teach math, but also um, work with my students to start a Black Student Association at my school. So that has been a ride, a roller coaster, up and downs, but it has been a very good journey.
0: Thank you both. Thank you. And um, as we talk about the the march, the recent march here in Barron Springs, first, if people aren't aware of it, they don't know what happened, maybe you two could give us, maybe you both could give an, just an, a general overview of the march so people get an idea of what we're discussing.
2: Okay, so um, the march was organized by students and myself. Um, I also sought to get advice from my friends and some mentors that I had in the area. The idea was for the students to show awareness, to share awareness with everyone, right? So it was mostly about awareness and standing in solidarity. That was their idea. They said, Mrs. Allen, can you help us? We want to do a march because, a march for peace, you know what I mean? They said, a peaceful march because we want to make everyone aware of everything that's happening. And we want to stand in solidarity, period. That's what they told me.
0: (laughs) And these students you're speaking of, these were your high school students?
2: Correct. These were my high school students at Berrien Springs. Okay. Yeah. So like Milan is saying, a lot of it was
1: supporting the high school students is kind of how we got involved. But um, one Sunday rolled around, we definitely encountered a lot that we were not prepared for. Right. So um, We had spent the week, you know, in our group chats, emailing different people, trying to create the safest environment for this march. Um, And we started at the HPAC, the Howard Performing Arts Center, and then went all the way down to Brain Springs High School, made a few stops along the way. Um, And we were maybe anticipating like what, 200 people? Max. um, And close, or I even would say over a thousand showed up. So, really our whole goal was you know to go on a walk on sunday with these signs with a couple of high school students and it turned into something much bigger and much better
0: It was really big.
2: Yeah, It was very big. We were not expecting that. And actually we had to change some of the things on our run sheet because we saw that they weren't gonna work. For example, you were there and you saw that um, at the library we stopped and we sang that song. Yeah. Well, that was supposed to be a song that we sang on our march to the library, but being that there were so many people and the line was so long, it was just not going to work. And so there were a lot of changes that we made, Because Mm -hmm. we had such a big group. But everything turned out well. And you know, protest or peaceful mar- walks, marches, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, You can have a structure and you can organize, but you just have to be ready to improvise. You know what I mean? And you have to remember why you're there. This is not a performance. This is us standing for something, right? Yeah. And so always keeping that in mind and just allowing people to come and say what they want to. For example, there were some speakers that were <laughs> not on my run sheet. <laughs> and they just really? texted me and oh, they said, yeah. can I say something? And you know, obviously we asked them what they were going to say mm-hmm. first because we don't want accidents. <laughs>
0: the vetting, yeah, yeah.
2: But um, yeah, a lot of things were just improvised, and I think that was the beauty of it. The students really didn't want it to feel structured mm-hmm. like a program. Yeah, I think also um,
1: for me, what was something that was so beautiful to see um, on that march is how many people stood in solidarity, saying, "What happened to George Floyd is not okay." It's not right, and it's something that needs to be addressed, even in our small community, right? So, like, on a roster, Berrien Springs has 1,800 people, right? And almost that many people came out saying that we don't agree with this, and this can't happen. Um, I think for us as educators, it's doubly as scary, you know, as it would be for a parent, because this could be one of our students. Mm, You know, mm. like... um, for example, today the kids watched a video about um, why do we look different, and one of the kids in my class said, "I love the color of my eyes, but sometimes the shape of my eyes makes me feel hurt." Right, and he's five. You know, how is it happening that at five years old, he already is feeling a prejudice because of the way he looks? So young. So young, and it's it's scary. So I think a lot of for me, what was really touching is seeing how many people said, we can't have this.
2: I think for me, um, my experience with my particular students, when I started, um, I started school, and I was like, wow, this is great. There's so much diversity. And then a couple months in, I said, wait, (laughs) there's so much diversity, we can see it, but we can't feel it. You know what Uh, I mean? Everyone is trying to Act a certain way. So by February, it was, well, the end of January actually, it was going to be Black History Month. And I asked my Black students, I was like, hey, how do you celebrate diversity here at the school? And they're like, Mrs. Allen, well, I was Miss Tremels back then. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> they said, Miss Tremels, we don't we don't celebrate Black History Month. And I was like, so you haven't had conversations regarding race here? Um I know that things happen to you, you don't talk about it. And they said, no, we can't talk about that stuff. The white people will get mad and then we'll just get suspended. You know, and that's when I really realized, wow, um, we need a space where we can have these conversations. Yes, you might get offended, but you need to learn what to do when you get offended and you need to learn how to react and you need to learn how to communicate, right? Mm -hmm. And if you're leaving high school without knowing how to do these things, we are not preparing you for the real world. We are not preparing you for those posts that you're going to make on social media Mm -hmm. when you're now a professional, right? Mm -hmm. We're not preparing you to have difficult conversations regarding anything. It doesn't even have to be race with people because all we're doing is we're like that dysfunctional family. There's a problem no one talks about it. We're just gonna smile and pretend it doesn't exist. And so that's one of the things that inspired me to tell my students, okay, let's start a black student association. We need to sit down and have these conversations because I see that if anyone says something the smallest thing to you, it automatically triggers you, and I don't even think that you understand that that's what's happening to you. So they grew so much. Like we started our Black Student Association with them saying, "I hate white people."
0: Wow. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah.
2: Okay. No, girl, <laughs> um, from that place. Let's, <laughs> yeah. So let's talk strong, about why. You know, emotional <laughs> yeah.
0: starting point. Yeah. And Nike,
1: can I tag on to that? Yeah. I think for a lot of minorities, but I will speak specifically for the Black community. We all have that thought process at one point in time, right? Um, And it's not necessarily, at least I should say for myself, it's not necessarily malicious. It's more so of a response to ignorance. Because it's kind of like, I would love to share, yeah, it's a place of hurt. I would love to share this culture with you, this knowledge with you, but I see that you're so comfortable where you are that you don't want it. And I'm just kind of like, man, I don't necessarily hate white people. I hate your response to this problem.
0: Wow, And I think
2: this response could be better. For them, I think in this particular community and at my time here at Andrews, I didn't see it because Andrews um, is a lot more diverse, right? But when I started working at the public school, then you can kind of see that you are actually a minority. I didn't feel like a minority at Andrews because everyone was a minority. So we were just a group of minorities.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's so diverse. Right. So...
2: At the actual high school, the students are minorities, but the staff, no, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? The staff is not diverse at all. Um, I was one of the only minority people there. I was Hispanic, I identify as Afro-Latina, so I was automatically one of the only ones and my students recognized that. Mm -hmm. So when we started BSA and we started having those conversations, I saw that the pain and the reason they said I hate white people was so deep so many times they've encountered white people and they associate with white people because that's our community and they see someone that they love and that they have a relationship with and that they respect and then something happens Mm -hmm. that offends them something racist that they say that is said out of ignorance right and it creates a wound and it's such a deep wound because this has been happening in the system, right? This has been taught for generations. So now it's just like generational trauma and they don't know how to identify that and they don't know how that makes them feel so then they don't trust any white people because they say, no, those are the types of people that hurt me and I can't heal easily from that type of pain and I don't know how to handle it. So we started there and we had a lot of conversations, plenty and a lot of exercises Mm -hmm. to the point where we are now where My students, my student leaders from BSA are able to have conversations with um, superintendents and principals about things regarding race without hatred, right? They're able to speak and be transparent and vulnerable, but also be assertive and know who they are. And they're not just their race. And I think that was displayed
1: uh, in the March when we ended everything back at the Globe. Two students spoke. and I think a lot of times the ideology behind these marches is that, oh, it's a predominantly black group organizing it, which in our case wasn't necessarily true. One of the students who spoke up saying, I want to be a part of this and I want to see this happen is a white male. Mm-hmm. Um, and while he identifies in different ways that he would feel as a minority, he definitely knew that what is happening is wrong. And while he felt it in maybe what would be considered small ways, Um, he knew that he has a voice. He has a voice that can be used. Mm -hmm. So he really was one to take the initiative
2: and say, this march needs to happen. Yeah, he was. I had two students that were the main leaders who talked to their other friends and said, we should do this. Mm -hmm. And it was that white male and then one of my other um, black females from the Black Student Association. And so they both came to me and I was very willing to work with them and i was very honored proud um, that they would even think of doing something like this and that we went from a place where i can't talk about this to no i can do this and then i can do it with my entire community and i can post it online and everyone can see that i'm doing this and i feel no shame yeah and so that was huge growth like the students are able to communicate um effectively healthy communication with their peers regarding these difficult things. They're able to communicate with their, I don't wanna say bosses, but elders. What do you call those people that you look up to? I guess the higher ups, yep. or role models. <laughs> They're role models, you know what I mean? They're able to tell them when they do something that offends them. And that's able huge. Can you remember being it? in high school? And telling someone, mm-hmm. telling your teacher, you've just said something that offends me, that's scary mm-hmm. and intimidating. And when we first started doing it, my students were like, Mrs. Allen, I feel like I need to go to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> Anything but, to leave the conversation. Yeah, no, 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 but they would actually feel it like that. My stomach yeah. is upside down. I think I might throw up. <laughs> yeah. But they've gotten to a place where they're able to communicate mm-hmm. so, effectively. And I am just so proud that they are able to be themselves without fear, any fear at all.
0: That's really beautiful. Mm-hmm. That's what a journey, what a journey to lead and foster, nurture. So you've, you've spoken to actually my next question here, uh, but I do want to give you the chance in case there's any more you want to say about this specific piece here. Um, Cause I wanted to ask about both your motivation and your Goals for this particular march. Why did you help the students uh, to plan this? Uh, what did you hope it would accomplish? Kind of those types of, of things.
1: Um, for me, when Malin asked if I could, you know, help and be a part of this, I one felt honored <laughs> um, that she felt and her students felt that I'm a person that they could confide in and to include in this experience and this journey. Um, and I very much thought of my own high school and college experience. Um, you know, when you're 16, 17, 18, a lot of your identifying factors depending on your community don't necessarily come from your race, but you know, um, how you dress, what you have, who you are. And I remembered going through high school and college and having different young adults and adults in my life who helped, um give voice to my Black experience. And I felt as if that's something that I would like to foster as well. Um, I think that there is very much a possibility and and that we are in a place where we can help create a conversation and environment to say, I am feeling hurt, and I am feeling broken, and you need to hear this pain without it being hostile, without it being aggressive, but with it being vulnerable and transparent. Um, and I think it's very important they created a safe environment. So that was part of my motivation. And um, some of the kids who are leaders in this march were kids that I have worked with when they were in elementary school and I was in high school. So to see them come this far and to grow into the individuals that they are for me was super rewarding. For me, I think a goal that would come out of this is, and I reiterated it a lot at the march, but to see lasting change. And I know that's very vague. It's incredibly vague, but it starts with the small things. Um, I remember a movie my dad used to make us watch every year. at Thanksgiving was Remember the Titans, and I could never figure out why. Um, I was just like, hey, we're trying to assimilate to American culture. Let's watch football. Um, and growing up, watching it again and again, it became one of my favorite movies. And it was one of the first examples to me of how deeply rooted segregation is in all of our communities, Mm. but how possible it is for there to be change. You know, uh, at the beginning of this movie, these guys are beyond uncomfortable. Uncomfortable is not even a strong enough word for how they're feeling. And you get to that scene at the end of the movie and uh, one of the guys in the hospital bed, and she looks at one of his teammates and says, only immediate family. And the guy in the hospital bed says, what are you saying? That is my family. And to see the growth that happened in that, what, two hours is to say that while it might be uncomfortable, growth is possible in our
2: own communities. I think for me, when all of this started happening and I would see it on my social media, first of all, I did myself a disservice and the weekend before the George Floyd incident, I watched Queen and Slim oh, Lord. and so, I was already triggered. <laughs> I was like, "Well, now I'm traumatized, and now I'm traumatized again." So now I'm just all over the place, and I was feeling like I needed to do something. And I didn't feel like making posts on social media was enough for me. I'm more of an action person. So I was talking to my husband. I was like, "Wow, like I want to be part of a protest. Like I want to stand up and do something. Like it's just gonna help me feel better. It's going to help me in my healing process to stand up and do something about this." And so when I got that message from my students, I said, I will absolutely help you. Um, And so the whole process made me feel like I was doing something Mm -hmm. to help the situation, not even help, to spread awareness about the situation, because really, (laughs) Um, but also above that, I wanted to show my students that they were safe even outside of the classroom with me during a BSA meeting, you know? Because so many things happen at our school, so many times they encounter racism and nothing is done, and they feel like they're alone. And again, I mentioned I'm one of the only minorities at the school, so they feel like I'm the only person that they can go to. and when we go to this march and we plan this march and we see that more people show up well now that they now they see that they're not alone mm-hmm. and that they can share this pain with more people and there's people in the community that don't understand them i mean uh, I said that wrong. There's people in the community that do understand
0: them. <laughs> but I think this right. is also
2: right. <laughs> there are a lot
1: of people who showed up to this march who had signs that said, I'll never fully understand, but like, I stand by you. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that's a very easy statement to make. But it also shows, you know, there's room for a conversation here. A conversation is possible. There are a lot of people who, no matter how many words we use, They're not able to understand a system of racism that we experience, Mm. but they are able to identify that there is wrong in this system. George Floyd's
0: situation, like I can, I can look at this and say, this is wrong and I've got to stand up. Maybe I don't understand a big picture yet, but at least this much.
2: But you're willing to start somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. That's something that my students weren't getting. They kept bringing up these instances that would happen and to anyone else. Mm -hmm. um, For example, if a student makes a joke, right? But the joke is racist. But because no one understands the deep roots of racism and how painful that is, they just say, it's a joke, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They didn't mean it. Um, So the real discipline didn't take place, the conversations didn't take place, and the students didn't feel like people acknowledged their pain or- They're being dismissed. Or yep, they're being dismissed. Everything is being shoved under the rug. But now with an instance like this, it's like flat out in your face, you can see it right but also they see that the community is also seeing it and it's not being dismissed and i think that was a powerful moment when i saw my students from the black student association standing there and we looked around and we saw all those people i felt so happy for them that they were finally able to see that they have a community Mm -hmm. that stands by them Mm
0: -hmm. and for our listeners who weren't there and, and didn't see, to, to give a sense of how large this group was, like, so as we're talking about, that it was good to see their community that cared. I was standing by the sidewalk near the beginning filming, and it took six minutes. I have six minutes of footage for everyone to walk by me yeah. to walk, and that was at the beginning. It got bigger. Uh. Uh, you know, people kept joining, going to the library and then to the school. Like it was, like you said, around a thousand people. I, I don't know how to estimate something like that it was a lot of people, so it um, I can see if I had planned an event like that and a thousand people came, I would I can I can understand that idea of being heard and oh, the community is mm-hmm. at least at least for this window somebody's listening to my mm. my situation so. Uh. The
2: students also didn't, to be honest, I didn't realize that there were that many people until we were the last ones at the HPAC parking lot closing everything up. You know, we were giving people water and everything, organizing everything. And I was like, okay, I'll just run to the front of the line. (laughs) So, (laughs) so we started walking and we started walking on the grass because people were walking on the sidewalk. And we were like, oh, it looks like the front is by the light. You know, the light by Apple Valley and Andrews that there's only two lights here in Baryon. So the first one. We have three now. We have three. Yeah. Just another one. Oh, plot twist. (laughs) Anyway, we were there. And so, um, and I we ran all the way over there and we we're like okay this is the front and when we got there we were like this is not the front this is the middle <laughs> and so we could never make it to the mm-hmm. front of the line so I had to like facetime my husband and I was like okay when you get there this is what you're gonna do okay so yeah it was very large and the students did not expect that they were like wow there's so many people mm-hmm. so it was beautiful to see
0: So still talking about this this group this uh, group of community uh, that came together people from the Andrews community the wider community uh, I'm aware of at least that much uh, diversity but talk about that a little bit um, uh, ages different groups involved what what do you know or what can you share about the makeup of this of the march
1: uh, I remember standing in the H parking lot and,
0: and that that's uh, where we started again that's when we
1: start yeah. Um, again, I'm not a very tall person, 5'2 at most. On a good day, maybe 5'2 half. And I am looking out, and I'm like, wow, these people definitely can't see me. There's so many people. Um, but there were quite literally people of every age. It was really, to me, very beautiful to see that families felt like this march and this environment was safe enough to bring their small children. Mm-hmm. So there were kids as young as two in strollers, kids in wagons with signs on their wagons, all the way up to, um, I remember remember we saw this lady walking in her orthopedic socks. <laughs> and I was like, wow, that's probably not safe, but I really commend you and appreciate you You know, being out here. Um, so we definitely had people of all walks of life show up and um, who participated and felt
2: safe in this march. And I think that's really important. And there were definitely- We also had, yeah, some organizations. I know I was working with Michiana Pastors. Mm -hmm. Uh, They contacted me, Tim Nixon. He contacted me saying that we had their full support and they actually made donations and masks and water that they provided for people. There were also other organizations like the police marched with us Mm -hmm. um, and they provided their support as well, guiding us and all the things. We'll talk about it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And um, we also had the support of the baguette. I don't know if you remember when you walked by, we had... We had to get, so in order to have such large number walk by, it needs to be on a public sidewalk. Well, by the baguette, the sidewalk is not public. Actually, there's no sidewalk. So <laughs> <laughs> so we had to ask for their permission. And the owner of baguette said, yes, I'm aware that this march is happening. And I will provide cold water for the protesters as they walk by, which was beautiful. And something so small mm-hmm. honestly helps because by that point, it's hot. It's hot. There's a lot of it people, was, so it's it hotter. Was. And so oh. some cold water is really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, we had the support of the administration at Berrien Springs School District. Yeah, that was very nice. And he walked with us. The sheriff provided um, porta potties. Mm-hmm. I forgot the name of porta potties when we were on there, <laughs> but now I remember I was traumatized. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> so we, they provided porta potties because we thought to ourselves, wow, there are no available bathrooms on this protest mm-hmm. anywhere. I hadn't even thought about it. And the sheriff was like, yeah, there's no bathrooms. And I was like, oh bathrooms <laughs> yeah. i forgot that well, that's like, a thing that we need <laughs> this in the midst of a pandemic <laughs>
1: created its own problems you yeah know? like i'm sure anyone could have walked into baguette and just gone to use a bathroom and hopped back into the march but you know with everything being takeout only mm-hmm. we're restricted a little bit more um, campus Safety also did a lot to help yeah. us. Uh, they you know, gave us the okay for starting on campus. They communicated with the police department as well, so we had an okay on both ends. Um, like the night before, maybe the Friday before, we were beside ourselves. We couldn't find a megaphone, something oh. so small. And we were like, you know what? We're just gonna pray about it and leave it to God. And on Sunday, there will be a megaphone. And by Sunday, we had five megaphones. Yeah, it was and, great. Um, but you know, like Bedford Campus Safety texts me, and he's like, "Hey, got a megaphone for you. Batteries are changed. We're praying for this. We hope that it all works out. You know, we're praying for you guys organizing, praying, you know, for the march on the day that it happens. Um, and for me, that was really significant. You know, um, to know that while maybe not everyone can physically be there, they were still participating and praying for our safety and praying for the success. But um there were also a lot of kids who showed up on like their longboards and skateboards at different parts Mm -hmm. of the march um, who had bought water from apple valley and were just handing it out and that to me was also really incredible because you know um a lot of people underestimate what teenagers can do and maybe you know we've been teenagers before and we probably (laughs) wouldn't think like that but just seeing how willing they were to be a part of it as well and to help Mm -hmm. out was also really cool. And there were people participating in their cars. We did stop traffic. (laughs) Been one of my goals. (laughs) Um, A lot of people who were driving by and in that like Taco Bell area and their cars were honking and, you know, um, we were scared that there were going to be racial slurs, but there was a lot of affirmation Mm -hmm. coming from people in their cars who, and I talked to some later and they were saying, I wanted to participate, but my immune system doesn't allow it. Um, But they found a way to participate and that to me was still like really awesome that you know you found your way to be there you found your way to participate so I'm sure if we included those people our numbers would soar but um, there's quite literally a person there from every age group every walk of life Um, uh, there's a family behind me a mixed-race family who had adopted a lot of children and the mom was saying you know like While I may not look like this, these could be my kids, and I equally hurt for you. This could be my child, you know? And no matter how I raise them, where I raise them, by the look of their skin, that's it. Mm -hmm. They don't get anything else. There are no other identifying factors. So it was really awesome and to see the diversity in our own community, to show up and say, we're all different people, but we all understand the wrong in this scenario.
0: So you mentioned the police a couple times in that description. Uh, I, I do want to talk about that a little bit. Did you reach out to the to them to be involved, or because um, they not only uh, were there, like stopping traffic as as the group crossed the road and a few of those stops, but they also were actually some were actually marching and participating in it. I'm curious to hear learn more about any any of those sides aspects of it.
2: So Jordan came to me. And she was like, there's something on my heart. (laughs) And I said, what's up? And she said, I think we should contact the police. And I, I gave her the okay. I was like, absolutely. At this point, I started to feel a big burden because a lot of my students were going to attend, and they were saying that their families weren't going to attend. So I thought to myself, wow, this is a big responsibility. First of all, this is a protest. Second of all, <laughs> these are for minors. All, yeah, responsible <laughs> for all the minors. I was like, uh, Mama Bear just came out. Yeah. Like, I feel yeah. so much responsibility for your safety. So I said, Yesterday, Dan, like, please contact them because I think they'll help with the safety. Some of my biggest concerns when we contacted them, and we did have a meeting with the police department. Um, talking about these concerns is like at the end of the day we're protesting police brutality you know what I mean and so having you there your uniform is a representation of the thing that has caused us so much pain Mm -hmm. and so your presence needs to be positive Mm -hmm. Um, absolutely when someone sees you and if we don't announce you and say why you're there they're going to be triggered You know what I mean? Especially because I'm dealing with teenagers and not all of the teenagers that are going to attend this protest have been in my Black Student Association where I could teach them how to properly respond when they feel all of their feelings, you know? And when they feel all of the hurt and pain. So I was like, "Hmm, the police, yes, we need them for safety but also we need to make sure that their presence is safe. And when I say safe, I don't mean like they're gonna come tear gas and like hit everyone you know what I mean or throw rubber bullets at them I mean safe emotionally and psychologically you know and so that's one of the things that we talked about with them but Jordan (laughs) why did you text Um, me to say that you wanted the police to come (laughs) so um
1: while I am not a parent (laughs) I I was so worried about having all these minors and yeah. parents not being there or parents not knowing that they're marching with us yeah. are not okaying that, I was beyond anxious. <laughs> um, because, you know, like, at the end of the day, at our age, we've somewhat devo- developed our prefrontal cortex to know, you know, should not respond like this? But at 15 or 16, it's a little bit harder. <laughs> yeah. um, so... I had been reading the news, and I had saw that a lot of these protests had been hijacked. So for example, in both Grand Rapids and Kalamazoo, um, there were members of communities who did not agree with these protests, who were being busted in, and uh, they were causing so much violence and so much aggression in these marches. And um, it's a double-edged sword, you know We don't want violence. And that's final. There's no argument about that.
0: This was called but a peace march. It's a peace march,
1: exactly. But at the end of the day, when violence we control, ensues, we can't control everyone it. who comes. That's an um, important part. Because of the context of this march and why we're marching, if it became violent, it was, easily to, it was easy to assume that minorities started the violence. Mm. Um, and that is not at all the message that we wanted conveyed. In addition to that, while in other parts of the country, racism may be a little bit more blatant, um, we know that in smaller communities it can be a little bit more subtle. And there was no way to control you know, if someone showed up from another town armed or if um, someone came with a switchblade and was walking through with all these people. Um, so it was uh, in my mind i said you know what i'd rather have a police officer by my side who is seeing the faces of these people participating knowing that we're not violent that if violence were to happen it wouldn't be violence against us Um, again because there were so many young families out there Mm -hmm. you know um even the kids in my classroom will like be like, teacher, I'm going to you know, use these Legos to make a gun. And I'm like, not in this classroom. No, 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 not at all. Um, and so like, I very much was like, I don't, I don't want that to be exposed. I don't want that to be the message, because this can be something beautiful. This can be something meaningful. This can be a building block for learning and for change in our community. But if someone were to show up and change the narrative, it would be so hard to redeem this story um but first and foremost my concern was safety Mm -hmm. (laughs) um it's it's the safety of of young families of these teenagers who are marching with us who don't have the same impulse control or who have not been in an environment where you learn that my fists don't solve problems you know um in addition to that all the protests that we have been seeing on the news have ended violently They've ended in tear gas. They've ended in people on the floor concussing, seizing. They've, they've ended in arrests. And that's not what we want to happen in our community.
2: Especially with the young kids. Exactly.
1: We want to show that we can have an uncomfortable dialogue successfully and peacefully. Um, but because this is police brutality, it was very important that the police were present. Um, and as Malin said, we had a meeting with them the Friday before the march. and. It was difficult (laughs) for a plethora of reasons. Okay. Um, It's hard being two young adults in a room with people, some 40 years your elder, um, who have lived in a small town like Berrien where we are coming from bigger cities, um, cities that are heavily minority where violence does occur more frequently and where the police have a more negative connotation. And while you know, we know that the intent of the police officers in Berrien is good. It was still a conversation that needed to be had Mm -hmm. to say that we have students both in high school and the university who are not from Berrien, who have not seen you all their lives, who do not trust your uniform. And even your presence is triggering. Yeah. You know, like the police officers come to the crayon box and do their little presentation and the kids love it. And I'm in the back of the classroom like holding my breath you know, because I've been in the backseat of the car so many times when my parents get pulled over. I've been pulled over and I can't even keep on driving because I'm so anxious that I just stay in the same spot like crying because I'm so scared of what could happen next, you know? Um, so we had that dialogue with them to say that we appreciate you being here and we, we love the fact that you are willing to march with us and to have this conversation saying what that officer did was wrong, but please be aware that a lot of people participating are not going to see you, they're going to see your uniform. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that you are a bad person. That means that someone in your uniform has left a mark on them so deep that it's difficult to repair. And even you being present and marching with us and giving us your support and ensuring our safety begins to mend the wound a little bit.
0: Mm
2: They also helped us um, deal with situations where we were receiving threats via social media because the march was announced on social media. And so on Thursday morning, um, I had to report a lot of those threats, and so they were able to perform their investigations. Mm-hmm. and. I don't know where the investigations led and if they actually did anything about it, but it was good to know that they knew that those threats Mm -hmm. exist and that they came prepared to deal with any situation that may actually take place, right? Mm -hmm. And to be honest, these threats were made by young people, some of our students at the high school. Um, So, you know, young people it's easy to assume that young people just say things and don't do things, but I think that assumption is toxic. (laughs) And so I believe that if you say something, um, I have to be ready for you to do it, even Mm -hmm. if you don't, because that would be responsible of me to not take you seriously when you make a threat like Mm -hmm. that. And so we reported to the police and I reassured our students, letting them know that the police know we're doing our thing. there's strength in numbers, you know, we're going to prepare if something like this happens, we're going to have a plan. And so um, we told the students, not in front of everyone for the whole group, but the particular, our students came in first, we had them arrive before one, which was a time where everyone else would arrive. And we told them, if something happens, you're just going to run back to the Andrews campus and you'll you'll be safe here. Like we've talked to the people here, they know. And so we had to have these conversations because we didn't know who could come up. And that was a really big fear of mine, something that was causing me some nightmares. <laughs> but I'm so glad that nothing happened. And I think that having so many people showed up helped us so yeah. even if someone drove by thinking that they were going to do something they looked at the crowd they saw that it wasn't only black people there were all the colors <laughs> yeah and they said Oop, not me yeah they said not today they also saw those cop cars because they made the police made sure that They had a car escorting us in front and behind, kind of like protecting the group um, completely. Not really completely, because again, that line was very long, but as best as they could. And so that was super helpful, and I think that helped me feel safer. Yeah, and um, my
1: mom, who is the ultimate believer in divine intervention, but I think she was right in this instance. So we talked to the police officers on Wednesday, Wednesday morning. By Wednesday evening, we had started receiving threats, um, and it was a little bit terrifying because, you know, of course, it comes to mind. Well, what if they shut this down?
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: we sure. It's not even so much the work that we've put in so far as much it is as it is letting these students know that they have an opportunity to be heard. Um, and you know, we were prepared to have that conversation to say that by by shutting this down, you are reiterating the message that their feelings, their
2: their place here is not valid, and we're not letting room for that conversation. Right, and also, I, I think just saying that they have the power to shut it down, mm-hmm. um, that's not true, that's illegal. You as a citizen have the right to protest. Exactly. You can encourage me not to do the march and you can tell me that it's not safe and you don't know if you'll be able to handle a situation and I can choose mm-hmm. whether or not, but you can't tell me, shut this down because then, then you're abusing your power and you're abusing your authority and that is the problem, you know? And so when they would hint in conversations that they could do that, we made sure to let them know that that wasn't an option because I think that And I don't know if this is a correct statement, but I think that this is part of the problem. This is part of the problem. Once people have some sort of authority, like suppose me in the classroom, I'm a teacher, so I'm the authority figure in my teacher. I can fully take advantage of that. And I can say, oh, I'm going to abuse my students. And then when they ask, I'm just, you know what I mean? I have all the authority. My superiors are going to believe me, not them, their kids. That's not true, by the way, in the education system, just so you all know, but <laughs> in the in this world, right? They're going to believe me, not them. They don't have any proof, right? So I could do whatever I want and then I can manipulate my students. I can make the classroom all about me. It's all a dictatorship. I have all the authority and I'm taking advantage of that, right? And I think that mindset of we're gonna shut this down if we can't get it under control is that idea that I have the authority and I can do what I want. But I think in a community that's healthy, and where the yeah. police are working with their um, community members, the police aren't saying, I'm going to shut that down. They're saying, okay, how can we work together to make this safe? Uh, and this exactly. is my opinion. This is how I feel that it can go down. And this is why I feel like maybe we should work together to take a different yeah. approach instead yeah. of saying, if I can't figure this out, we're going to exactly. shut it down. That's part of the problem with yeah. police brutality, right? Yeah. That, that problem where you feel you have all this authority and you are abusing your authority and missing using it yeah.
1: and so i think you know like for us having that conversation on wednesday morning threats coming in wednesday evening um our plan and um you know the narrative that we wanted to create had already been established and so we emphasize time and time again that yes we're protesting but in a peaceful manner so any violence that may ensue it can't. It won't be us. I know uh, I'm saying right. it can't, uh-huh. but it's not our priority. You know, it's not our, our goal. We want this to be safe. We want this to be peaceful. And so, you know, when um, when threats started coming in, it was really a conversation of what compromise can we find? Mm-hmm. What what way can we rework this? Because we've heard you. We understand that you want to do this peacefully and we're behind you because we equally watched that officer kneel on George Floyd's neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds, and we felt pain, and we know that that's not acceptable. And when I spoke to the chief of police, he made that very clear in the conversation, that, that he, he knew and he was so aware that this was not okay, and that he felt pain to see someone's life taken because of someone else's prejudice or anger towards them, and so he very much was of the opinion, you know, how can we compromise this? Yeah. How can we still make it happen? Um, and that for us was reassuring mm-hmm. because it is—it's scary to walk into um, a conversation with people who are your senior, people who in that room are the majority and have a significant amount of authority. Um, not to say that teachers don't do their part, but we're just teachers, right. you know? Um, we're just here to continue to empower and encourage the students who are coming to us, but I don't wear a badge. I don't carry a gun, you know? So it's it was a much more difficult conversation, but because of their willingness, it turned out to be significantly more positive yes. than either of us anticipated.
2: They were very... Um, open to listen. And honestly, I was surprised. (laughs) I went in there and I was like, oh, I already know this isn't gonna be good. You know what I mean? Like I had my own bias against the police. I was hurt. And that's part of the system. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's part, part of the system. system, right? So like Thursday night, we're both
1: leaning, or we were at your house and we're like going over what we're gonna say if this happens and yeah. if this happens and in this scenario. Um really but planning for it. Preparing. We're planning
0: for
2: it. We're preparing for the worst to happen. We were preparing for no. them to abuse their power and make decisions for us. Exactly. You know, and not and pretend to listen to our input. But that's not the way that's it happened. And I'm very happened proud to have worked with our police department here, and I'm very happy to hear their response to some of the things we were saying. And like in any conversation, sometimes um, they didn't fully understand what we were saying. And again, sometimes I feel like they're not at the place yet, Mm -hmm. right? Like those are deeper conversations, but they were so willing to, make compromises, to think outside the box, to make sure that the students had what they needed. Mm-hmm. My job in that meeting was making sure that they knew that I was here to advocate for the students because our your, our students came to me and they asked me, I want to do this and I don't wanna take over their protest exactly. and I wanna make sure that whatever compromise we're making, it's still holding true to the original idea that the students had and their mission for this protest. So in no way am I going to compromise that at all. So, yes, we can compromise some routes, but still the 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 mission of the the integrity of the students has to stay the same. And they respected that. Mm -hmm. So I was very happy um, working with them. Absolutely. Absolutely. It
1: was a very positive experience for us.
0: So I didn't, you know, going back in the story, I didn't realize that you two had received threats. How did that feel? How did did you react to that?
2: (laughs) Um, We had an anxiety attack. So uh, I'll be honest, and
1: like my mom hates when I say this, but I'm a crier. (laughs) Like, um, I immediately was like in tears and I was like, God, we worked so hard. (laughs) You see the work these students have put in and we just cannot take this opportunity away from them. And my mom was like, why are you wailing in your room? I was like, mom, the kids, the kids. (laughs) But it was very nerve wracking, you know, um. I wow. think in a in a different environment, I would have anticipated threats to come in, but I didn't fully process that it could be possible in our town. Yeah. Um, well, I did. Yeah, and I, I and have that experience. I think <laughs> part of it is you know like in Berrien, a vast majority of the people who live here are affiliated with the Adventist Church, but the reality is. Um, Berrien High School is a choice school, so, so children can come in from different towns um, and attend school here. And then of course we have the academy where there's no restriction of where you live as long as you know you can make it there for eight o'clock. And so while the understanding of, of race and the conversation of race is something that might be happening for the people whose mailing address is here, it's not true for everyone. Um, so it, it kind of hit me like a, a bag of bricks and I was not at all prepared. Um, but I think, again, we we were ahead of it and that was reassuring.
2: Um, for me, it was like my nightmares coming true. Yeah. Um, again, I've been dealing with race issues at our school for a while and um, students have made posts on social media very racially insensitive, sometimes racist things that weren't as we could see right because we don't know what happens in the administration office and they don't always tell us what they do so we feel and that's what i'm saying we feel as like minorities and i put myself in that boat too because i felt like a minority at the school as well that they weren't handled to the level that they merit Exactly. Exactly. I don't know if that's clear enough, but if someone says something racist, right? And you're used to being in a town that's fully white and you're white, right? You kind of see this and you're like, oh man, yeah, that was inappropriate. So you discipline it as inappropriate. But me you say that racist thing, and it might be inappropriate for you. But for me, it's extremely painful. Mm-hmm. It is toxic. It is traumatizing. It is triggering. It is all of the things that cause deep wounds. You know what I mean? And where I sit with my students for hours after school, sometimes in tears, sometimes angry, just giving them a space to let release this. And for you, you don't see it that way because that's not your experience, mm-hmm. right? And our students haven't been able to talk to you about it because you haven't opened the doors to have those communi- ex- those yeah, conversations, yeah. right? So I wasn't surprised that we received these threats, but the particular threats we received were very, very severe. Incredibly like-
1: aggressive. I, Incredibly
2: I mean, aggressive.
1: Incredibly um, aggressive. like texted me and she was like, Jordan, I think we should call this. Um, I remember you were like, this is literally my nightmare.
2: Literally. Like, this is Like, I'm scared. This is like- Like, this could happen. Exactly. Like, I know these particular kids. I know them. They're exactly. in my class. Like this could happen. Mm-hmm. I I wouldn't bet, you know what I mean? Like if I was gonna give it a percentage, it'd be like um, 60, 40, yeah. you know? It's not like they're just saying something like they- There's action behind it. There's action behind it because I've seen them and the way they interact with the minority students at my school. Yeah
1: yeah and you know we had to have a conversation and say like do we call it do we not call it i mean but
2: for me i was always willing to do the protest i was just it was the safety of the kids marching with us. it was the safety of the kids So i was like how can we change this around to make Mm -hmm. this safer you know but i i talked to them and they were like whatever we do we're not gonna cancel it. Yeah. So I was like, okay, that's not an option. This is their protest. And they as citizens of the United States yeah. have right to protest just like me. I can't say because I'm gonna teach and this is unsafe for you. I'm not gonna allow you to do it, right? That wouldn't be okay, mm-hmm. you know? So, but what was I going to do about this? Because I'm not going to let them walk into yeah, you, <laughs> a what, terrible situation. We were both
1: of the mindset of, if we, if we call this, if this doesn't happen, We've, we've allowed them to control the narrative. We've allowed them to have their say. Um, and again, that wasn't an option. You know, uh, No matter which way we had to break down the scenario and reconstruct it, whether it had to be you know, marching in circles on Andrew's campus or just meeting at the high school, it was going to happen.
0: One way or another. Uh, one way or
1: the other. Yeah. You know? And we knew that it was not an option to allow them to control the scenario and to control the story
0: wow that's intense
2: yeah it was very intense it was scary (laughs) and it's all the anxiety attacks yeah they were present (laughs) because honestly for me it was triggering because i had experienced this and to be honest like my upbringing i grew up in a very small like city and where the white people were a minority you know what i mean most of us were black or hispanic um and again, there, we were all a minority town. So the surrounding towns were all like prestigious white towns and we were the trashy minority town. But inside our town, like you walk to the corner store and hello, everyone looks like me. So coming here to Andrews was kind of like a culture shock for me. Cause I was like, wow, this is weird. You don't really understand where I'm coming from always. But at least people recognize that we don't understand a lot of things about all of us. Mm-hmm. So. Well, here we are but working then at the school was the first time where I was like and I, I couldn't identify it at first because it was my first experience with things like this so, and I'd be in meetings and I feel like huh why does what you just said though I don't know why it feels offensive yeah. like it feels like you're like kicking me yeah, <laughs> you know like
1: you sit in class <laughs> this is like too frequently the scenario um but you sit in class and someone says something and i like i know i don't have a poker face and i feel like
2: <laughs> i just don't understand but how I- you think this is okay <laughs> it gives me time like i, I- i take time to process it because i haven't grown up used to it right Mm -hmm. it didn't happen to me i mean the worst thing that no the worst thing that we received was it's colorism more so in our communities but for me it was like white people from outside communities coming in and saying oh like your school district is terrible we're gonna shut you down if your test scores don't come up right so we knew that this existed but it was like in a bigger scheme it wasn't um personal. personal it was like town versus town right? But here it was personal, like, and it was very, I guess, down in the South, Mm -hmm. people just say what they want. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, they're very clear. They're very open. Like, you know, if someone's racist, they claim it, they Mm -hmm. own it. It's okay. But over here, it's like, no, I'm not racist. I'm here to support you. But you- but you can't do this and you can't do this and don't say that, you know what I mean? And so they try to shape you and make you into something that you're not and that feels terrible and they're not as understanding and that feels terrible. And it's hard to put your finger on what exactly it was about what you just said or what you just did that hurt me. And it wasn't until I sat and had conversations with my students that I realized, oh, that's racism. Cause I wasn't used to seeing racism like that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what our community Community. Here, especially these small communities, especially in the Midwest, I think that's the type of racism that occurs the most. Yeah. Is that very? What do you call it? It's very subtle.
1: Yeah. Um, it's not at all in your face as you would maybe experience in other places, um, and it's incredibly systemic. Um, it's very much so it's alluding like backstabbing. To, to the reality that you know. Or I shouldn't say the reality. Alluding to a scenario in which a minority student can't pursue something because they are a minority or it's continuously speaking to minorities as if well you have to fall in line to the stereotype no matter how much you may differ or vary Um, and it's not not at all blatant
2: but it hurts just the same i would say i would even say it hurts more i can give an example okay okay so me i have very big curly hair but i can also put it back Um, and then it just slicked back but most of the times people see me with big Curly hair. And so people come up to me like, wow, I love your hair. And I'm like, wow, thank you. No, but it happened to me. In the, in your hair. No, they <laughs> don't do that to me. No, no. I think they see it in my face that that's just not acceptable. But it happened to me that um, someone came up to me and they're like, wow, you look so different, so professional, so put together. Um, your hair is different. And my hair was slicked back into a bun. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Technically, they're complimenting my hairstyle. They're saying I look professional. But what they don't realize that they're doing, or maybe, you know, actually, I think sometimes they don't realize. But what they're doing is they're saying that my big hair is not professional, is not stylish. It's not appropriate for certain occasions. And that is not okay, you know? And those are the little things where it's like, wait, wait, thanks, but no thanks, you know? And it takes some time to figure out like, wait, what just happened here? I'm confused, you know? It's not as, another hair story, it's not as blatant. I was at a church, I went to perform, I went to sing, and I was standing at the front, um, at, I mean, at the back, as people were coming out like to shake their hands because I wasn't from that church. And the first elder of the church came up to me, and again, my big curly hair was a thing, and he said, next time, or he said, this, this is in Spanish, so I'm translating. <laughs> he said, don't step foot into my church again without combing your hair first. Immediately, we notice that there's something wrong with that statement, right? But do you see how, but they both feel as terrible to me, right? But one is right up in your face. He said how he felt, and then he left. And the other one is like, they're smiling, like they're giving you a compliment, but they're not. you know. And I think that's the difference between being in the Midwest and the racism you face here, and then the blatant racism you might face somewhere else.
0: Those are powerful examples.
2: And I think it's important for you to be aware that you have bias, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I know I've encountered people where like, I ask them, do you think you have bias? And they're like, no, I accept everyone. Um, my family, they have some black friends. <laughs> So no, I'm not biased at all, but I think it's so important for us all to realize that we have some sort of bias. bias. Listen, I have a bias towards men, you know what I mean? (laughs) Like my experiences haven't been so positive, so I'm not always going to feel safe, you know what I mean? And that's something that I recognize. I recognize that I'm walking by late at night and whatever male figure it is, I'm feeling unsafe. And it's not that they did anything. I have a bias, right? And sometimes it protects me and sometimes it makes me, you know what I mean, say things that I shouldn't have said. So recognizing that everyone has a bias because you have experience um, and also there's just like the systemic racism that is passed down is important. And I think that's a great first step. Just because you feel that you're not racist doesn't mean that you can't say a racist thing. Right. Or something that's extremely offensive or inappropriate, that it doesn't you're not excluded just because you're black or you're a minority doesn't mean that you can't say something that's extremely inappropriate and offensive, you know, because not everyone is aware. And that's why it's important to check yourself consistently and acknowledge when you've said something that is inappropriate and apologize, you know.
1: Uh, So my freshman year at Andrews. was going to school here. Oh, I remember him. Um, and I was walking through the gazebo, and he pulled me aside one day. And he was, and he, you know, like, in the gazebo, you're never just talking to, like, one person. You're talking to, like, 12 hmm. people. Um, and he was like, I just have to ask. You know, like, you're black in America. Wouldn't you agree that racism doesn't exist anymore? Because that's how I feel. And I just kind of, like, stood there dumbfounded <laughs> for what felt like forever. And I looked at him later, and I was like... You're a white male in America. Who are you to say whether or not racism exists? You inflict it, I receive it. We're on, you know, different ends of this scenario. But I was just so baffled. You can't that- even respond right yeah. away. Yeah, so it's just like you have to take time yeah. to figure it out. I was, it's <laughs> like, you know, like now we're saying, "Come on guys, it's 2020," but like, "Come on my guys, it's 2014." <laughs> like, this is a conversation that we've literally been having since the Emancipation Proclamation.
2: And you're, you're still somehow in the dark ages. And that's, I think this all goes back to school. I think that if we started with, if we started talking to our students and having these conversations, while they were still developing their identities, mm-hmm. um, at least they're able to figure out their own beliefs. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Because I think sometimes these things are learned, right? And then there's no place for you to unlearn them. Yeah. Um, there's no place for you to see multiple perspectives because everyone in your family is going to have similar beliefs to you or, you know what I mean, look like you. So there there's no place for you to see a different perspective and there's no place for you to have a healthy conversation. And that was so my biggest goal when I started these two clubs. I don't even want to call them clubs because I feel like that minimizes what I did. (laughs) This is some safe places, associations, whatever you want to call them. Um, At the school, I wanted the students to know that it is okay to have these conversations, and that it is okay to make mistakes here because you are still in high school and you are still learning. So if you're ever gonna make a mistake, this is the safest place to make that mistake. But I don't think that's the culture in our schools in America, and I think that's part of the problem.
0: Thank you again for joining us for this episode. To access the final portion of the conversation, I invite you to go to the show notes for this episode at andrews.edu podcasts. There you'll find a link to the YouTube video that contains the final 30 minutes of our discussion and the video footage from the march. We hope you'll enjoy this bonus material. And to be sure you don't miss future episodes of Andrew Speaks. We invite you to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Andrews University, world changers made here. World changers for a changing world.